Happy Mother's Day. Let's try again. Happy Mother's Day. That's a little better. That's a little better. Hey, Mom, if you're watching online in Florida, Happy Mother's Day. Love you. It's all your fault. I sent her a card. I got it out early this week. Got that one covered. Not late this year. I hope you all are enjoying Mother's Day. I, I am and have and uh, have been blessed by uh, some godly women in my life. Moms and grandmas and church ladies in all terms and kinds. And we celebrate women today. And we have a gift for you after service. And so please pick it up. If you're a little girl or an, an, a lady of a certain age, everybody, everybody and anybody. I just thank you for being here today. We're in a series, and if you're joining us online this morning, we're glad you're here. And it's called I Doubt It. And we've been talking about doubt and how it's a part of a Christian life and how our lives are challenged with doubts and uncertainty and and how it drives us or should allow it to drive us to faith. And today, we're going to look at the Bible and science and Ask the question, do you ever wonder why it seems like the Bible and science are in conflict with each other? Ever feel that way in creation versus evolution and having gone through school all these years and and having talked to people that are scientists and science majors and throwing out the Bible and going with evolution and or for me it's always been I just trust in the word of God and whether it was seven days or however long it took, I trust that God did it. There was a little girl in science class and her science teacher was not a believer and the science teacher was tearing down a biblical faith and he brought up Jonah and the whale and that the science teacher said that there was no whale large enough to swallow a whole person and little girl in faith said to her science teacher I'll just ask Jonah when I get to heaven. Science teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And she said, you ask him. (laughs) Now, if you Google if there's a whale large enough to swallow a person, absolutely there is. It's a sperm whale is large enough to swallow a person. Now, the the trick is, is to get in between his teeth and then survive in the acid of his stomach. But the Bible says it happened, and so it would be a miracle, but obviously it was a miracle, right? But there is a will. Can I believe in God and in science? I was, before I was called into ministry, I was geared to go into engineering. My my major would have been chemical engineering, but the Lord called me into ministry. I I was broke down in a a beat-up old car one time, and my daughter asked me, she said, Dad, don't you ever stop and think, don't you wish you would have just went to Rose Holman and you would have had a little bit of money? And I looked at her and I said, well, you would not exist to ask that question if I would have. Our lives have purpose and a plan. 
So why does science seem to be in conflict with the Bible? Why does that happen? And, and some see that relationship between science and the Bible as competitive rather than cooperative. And I had the opportunity to go to a Bible college, Johnson Bible College. Now it's called Johnson University. And, and our professors taught us, and I love this, and I think probably most of our Christian colleges teach this, is that, that the Bible is true and science just needs to catch up. St. Augustine, 400 years A.D., said this, So the conflict between science and faith comes from either misunderstanding science or misinterpreting the Bible. We take it by faith. So what if a, a relationship between science and the Bible isn't meant to be competitive? What if it's meant to be cooperative? What if instead of either or, it could be, you could choose both and? It's sort of like... Peanut butter and macaroni, Batman, and Robin. There you go. Why can't it be that way? Jesus said this in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 or 22, verse 13. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All of eternity in two parentheses in Christ. John said it this way. He said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says it this way, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Bible and science, two different tools to help us understand the truth. And that's what we talked about last week, that Jesus was the truth. Science seeks the truth about our natural world. So if you're looking for gravity, if you're looking for botany, if you're looking for biology, source science. If you're looking for calculus and differential equations, source science. But scripture reveals the truth about our supernatural God, the morality, the, the godness of our lives and the spirit and the soul of man. Go to scripture. But the Bible and science can work together. John Kavanaugh was an ethicist. Don't get him confused with the politician. He visited Mother, Mother Teresa and, and Mother Teresa asked him, he said, how, how can I pray for you? And he responded, he responded with Mother Teresa, pray for me for clarity, for the will of God in my life, so I can see clearly what life, my life is to be about. Mother Teresa said this to him, he said, I have never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God with your life. Now, when we think of Christianity, we need to think of Christianity as being more, if we think about it as being more about having all the answers rather than having faith in Jesus, we are building our faith on a house of cards. Because we will never have all the answers. So we need to look more or think more scientifically about our faith. 
Now, you remember the scientific method, don't you? I, I learned that in middle school, maybe even in late grade school, and how, how there's a hypothesis and you theorize. And then even in graduate school, I did a doctoral class in, in research, and, and, and it was a, still the same scientific method. 30, or how many years later? It had been about 20 years later. And, and you would test the null hypothesis. Because you've got to remember, in science, you can't prove anything. You can just disprove things. Remember? And so if we, if we would be like scientists and we would find some things that we thought were true, that traditionally were accepted as true, or we were taught that were true, that weren't really biblical truth, really wasn't about Jesus, and we found that out, we would just discard them and keep what was true. Remember, we talked about that in a sermon about excavation. I prefer the idea of excavation versus deconstructionism. Where the end was to hold on that which was good and true and lovely. We need to see challenges to our ideas about God as an opportunity to not give up on God. But as an opportunity to pursue a deeper understanding of who God is. Who God really, really is. And, and realize at the same time, you don't have to know every answer to every question to trust in Jesus. It will always, always, always take faith. Now today I want to look at three ways to look at science and scripture to build your faith. First, I want, to, want you to look at the beginning of everything. The beginning of everything. Where would you find the beginning of everything in the Bible? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The universe had a beginning according to scripture. But did you realize that until the 1950s, under Aristotle, everyone or the scientific world believed that the universe was eternal? That it did not have a beginning. Scripture and science were at odds with each other. And scientists, atheist scientists, looked at scripture as a farce. But science had not caught up with scripture yet. And in the 50s, they thought about this Big Bang Theory. Now, when I was growing up, the Big Bang Theory was poo-pooed as well. Because, I mean, we believe the Bible. We believe God did it the way he said he did it, don't we? Okay, you can amen that. Okay. We do. But, but the Big Bang Theory changed things by believing there was a beginning. Now, I've been out of a physics class for a long time. And like I said, I loved math and science growing up. And what I just learned about comes from quantum physics, which I was not taught quantum physics. I took a brief educational moment and looked it up in Wikipedia before I met with Aaron, Aaron uh, Wilkin this week. But he showed me something that I'd never heard before that was just fascinating to me. And it comes from the book Genesis 1 by Jared Strobel. What did I say? Schroeder. Schroeder, thank you. 
Gerald Schroeder, and and it's just a uh, an inexpensive book you can get on on Kindle for about three bucks. But what it does, it kind of collaborates science in the Bible and creation, and. I find it fascinating. And so if I could have that slide. Here. How do I. How, how, I did this in first service. And I did a pretty good job. But uh, in this service I might be a little challenged. I want you to think about our universe. For a moment. And. The question that comes to my mind is. Did you realize that the universe is constantly expanding? Did you know that? It's a expanding at a rate of a million squared. That would be a one with 12 zeros behind it. Now, this is a proportional relationship because you can't measure that simply. You can measure it in miles, but it's growing so quickly that even as we sit here, the universe is expanding. So, what was closer to us a moment ago is now farther away from us. And if I, would, if I would shine a light at the beginning point of all creation in the universe, and I would shine a light, and then I would wait a sh- second, and I would shine the light again, that if you were on the receiving end of the end of the universe, which is ever-expanding, that there might be years in between that what was a second and what is received in the other end of the universe. Following what I'm saying? Sort of. So what Gerald Schroeder <laughs> says that when God created, when the universe began, and by the way, he says that he created it by sound, and what did he say? Let there be let, let me try that again because you all ought to know this. Let there be Very good. That that created that moment in time and everything began from that moment. Now, from that point of view, from that position in space and time, God says that he created everything in six days, right? Nod your heads, let me know you're awake, balcony... You're a part of us too, even though you have your own party up there. Thanks for participating. In that moment in time, what Schroeder says is that first 24 hours, there was evening and morning the first day. And in that moment, if you were looking out over the universe as it was expanding even though that was a 24-hour span, real time, the way we experience time, that would have taken about 8 billion years. And we, he says that actually the universe has existed for about 15 and three-quarter a billion years. So that first day, even if we were standing there, human beings standing at the beginning of all time and all creation, it only would have taken one day for the universe to expand relative to that. And thanks to quantum physics, they can do the math from the ends of the universe to that point in time and calculate that and calculate, divide that 
million squared by the size of the universe in that moment and divide it back. And do you know what they get? Come on, mathematicians, scientists. They get six days. Isn't that strange? Now listen, I'm not going to live or die on this theory. And I don't want you, and you may disagree with this. But I, I just want you to think, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that wild? And what he proposes is that we are at the latter part of the sixth day. So what is the seventh day going to be like? Do you think that Jesus could come at the beginning of the seventh day? Now, doesn't that blow your mind? Unbelievable. So, so notice how the math works here. First day, 8 billion years, 15 and 3 quarters. You subtract 8 billion years. That's a long time, by the way. 24 hours, another 24 hours, it cuts down to 4 billion years, 7 and 3 quarter billion years. He creates the heavens, the Milky Way. Next 24 hours, 2 billion years, 3 and 3 quarter billion years left. Water and first life. This goes right with Scripture, and it, the science agrees with Scripture. Another billion years, billion and three quarters, the sun and the stars, transparent atmosphere. Now, if you read your Bible and you study your Bible and you're a student of the Bible, there was evening and morning, day one. Evening and morning, day two. Evening and morning, day three. Evening and morning, day four. Wait a second. There was no sun. How could you have evening and morning and not have a sun? But in Hebrew, you know what the evening and morning mean? Chaos and order. So God, out of the chaos, brought order. Now, I don't know if your house is like my house, but it gets pretty chaotic. And if we just leave it alone, what happens? Does it get better or does it get worse? It always gets worse. The, the law of thermodynamics says that things go from order to disorder, but in creation it goes from chaos to order. For those four days... Evening and morning, chaos to order, chaos to order, chaos to order, chaos to order. And again, on the fifth day, another 24 hours, if I'm standing relative to the universe, it's a 24-hour period. But it's a half a billion years. So all we have is a three-quarter. And the animals, the aquatics, the, there is just this explosion of life. And finally, the sixth day, which Schroeder says that we are in the latter part of the six days. Quarter billion years, quarter billion years, land animals, mammals, and humans. Fascinating how science and the Bible, whether you buy it or not, folks, the math works. The physicists are saying that. Before the Big Bang Theory, most atheist science claimed that the universe was eternal. Science hadn't caught up with Scripture. It's amazing. That's just the first thing. The second quality is look at the design of the universe. Verse 2 of Genesis. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Scientific studies prove that the universe has around 150 di different astronomical constants that have to be perfectly designed for life to exist. The revolution 
of the earth, the, the distance of the sun, the, the tilt of the earth, all have to work together or we have got chaos. A physicist that, that we watched this week on YouTube, he, he, he is not a believer, but he said this. He said that someone really, really, really had to care about having life on the planet Earth because there was no explainable way that life exists the way it does. Well, we know who that was, don't we? It wasn't an intelligent designer. It was the God of creation, the God that we worship, who loves you incredibly well. Sir Rogers Penrose said, one in 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power. It would be more likely that you won the mega lotto twice in two days than the existence of our planet as it is the existence of our universe. The late Christopher Hitchens, an atheist, called this the most compelling argument for the existence of God because there would be no other way. The psalm writer writes it this way. He writes it, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Unbelievable. Beyond our wildest imagination. And finally, third, look at the resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Six minimal facts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus by author Gary Habermas. First, that Jesus was a real person and he died by Roman crucifixion. Second, Jesus' followers experienced what they believed to be the actual appearances of a resurrected Jesus. Third, and this is the most compelling for me, James, the brother of Jesus, was not a believer. Now, how much would it take for you to believe that, that your sibling was the Messiah? It would take a lot for me. James wrote a book, unbelievable, it was not, he was not a Christian until actually after he believed and he saw the resurrected Jesus. Fourth, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, went from killing Christians to starting churches because he had an experience with who he believed was a risen Christ. Fifth, Jesus' followers experienced what they believed to be actual appearances of a resurrected Jesus. And finally, six, because of those experiences, these followers were willing to die for their faith in Jesus' resurrection. No one would die for a lie, not for a cover-up. They believed it to the point they were willing to give their lives because they knew it was true. Why do I believe Christianity is true? Is because Jesus changed me. I believe that with all my heart. I believe he can change you. He can transform you through the power of the Holy Spirit and by his grace. You see, your doubts do not disqualify your faith. Your doubts and your questions are a part of a growing and maturing faith. Just let God work in you. This morning, the question is, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do I believe that God created the heavens and the earth, however he did it? Do I recognize God's design 
for our universe, for our planet, and for my life and your life? That's the question. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are so, so grateful for the work that you have done. And Father, your design, your ways are perfect beyond our wildest imagination. And Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory for the work that you do. And Father, as you call those to be saved unto yourself, we just ask that you would do that today, that you would touch hearts and minds, that we do have a reasonable faith, but we are called to faith. And confession and baptism and repentance and faithfulness. And Father, only you can do that. Father, we believe. And we just place our lives before you to do the work that you call us to. Father, just now, there are people that are doubting. And they need to receive faith. Father, we just believe that you are doing that in our lives and in their lives. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Will you come this morning?